The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Well, now it's time for our Friday Forum. We're joined by Terry Prone, Chairman of the Communications Clinic, uh, Jim O'Callaghan, Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Bay South, Spokesperson for Justice and Equality, and Martin Kenny, Sinn Féin TD for Sligo Leitrim, and their spokesman too on Justice and Equality. Good morning and welcome one and all. Morning, Pat. I go to the non-political personal. That's probably not true. <laughs> Terry Prone. Um, Bertie's return. What did you make of his decision to reapply? I thought it was great for Bertie because I would figure that the last decade has been miserable for him because you must remember that Bertie from the time he was a teenager was part of Fianna Fáil. It was probably his essential continuing relationship and to be on the outside even though it was he who had resigned would have been very painful. I think it is going to be very useful for anybody within Fianna Fáil who might have leadership ambitions because... Looking at anybody, <laughs> Martin Kenny, <laughs> because they need to get really close to Bertie, because Bertie is a walking, talking repository of how to get people elected, particularly how to get people in Dublin elected, and that's something that whoever succeeds me all is gonna have to be really strong on. Jim, on that note, well, I always, I always <laughs> listen very carefully to uh, Terry. Listen, I suppose last night, uh, past. The you should Fall, tell people about yeah, the your Fall, event last night. The Finfall organisation in Dublin Bay South about uh, six weeks ago decided to have an event to commemorate the Good Friday Agreement 25 years this uh, this year. It's an important achievement. Obviously no one party or no one person can claim the uh, achievement of it but Finfall played a significant part in it and I thought it was important and the organisation thought it was important to commemorate that. We invited Bertie O'Hearn along at the time we invited him. We didn't know that he had already become uh, yeah. back as a member but he turned up last night with a very good discussion. Patricia McBride, an independent and partial journalist, uh, interviewed him. And it was very interesting to hear his involvement in the process. And I suppose I was pleased the fact that he has rejoined. Yeah. He Did anyone rejoined. have a go about the Man Tribunal and all that? Uh, no, not in the room. I think I don't think so. Possibly there were journalists outside, outside yeah. asking questions. Listen, when you look at somebody's political career, there's positive sides and there's negative sides. And like nobody comes with absolute purity, no matter who the politician is. And there were negative sides to Bertie's career in politics. But he paid a heavy price for that. He was forced to resign as Taoiseach in 2008. He was forced to leave in the fall in 2011. He served a sentence and now we're just decided to have an event to commemorate the positive side. So, look, it's it's complex. Martin. Yes, well, look, I mean, first of all, the peace process and the contribution he made to that, you know, nobody can take from that and certainly his role in being one of the key people in, in bringing the Good Friday Agreement about, along with many others, as Jim has said, you know, is, is obviously the thing that most people remember him for. But unfortunately, there's a lot of other things that people remember him for which have also been very negative. You know, we've had a decade of austerity. We've had, you know, that, that whole, I suppose, early 2000s where we had a kind of casino economic run in the country which crashed the economy and caused huge debt and huge problems and you know people are but aware when you of have that a mixed people are aware leg of that as well. well and I think Fianna Fáil probably you know have, have a, a sense that if they can bring Bertie back because he's very affable very much you know hail fella good met well met you know that, that sort of notion that he will bring uh, water to their mill again I'm not sure if it's going to work out like that. Mm, Terry? For a, certainly for a lot of young people would have a problem with it. I think that Bertie has spent the last decade being extraordinarily strategic because you know from this programme and an awful lot of broadcasters know that he has developed into a really fine commentator on geopolitical stuff here overseas. Mm. 
But very valuable has, on Brexit. Yeah, super. But he has managed to do it in a very unusual way. When people leave political leadership, it tends to go one of two ways. The end of Kenny way where he just shuts up and disappears and that's it. Or the kind and of... Very affably so. Indeed. Because we ask him to come on. <laughs> yeah. And he says, now, thank you, but he says it in the nicest possible he way. He's a sweetheart, but he's not going to talk politics. The other way is the Albert Reynolds, uh, John Bruton kind of way where they're they're egging to say something not always positive about what their successors are doing in office. But what Bertie did was he hewed a straight line between those two and he's managed to be a commentator without irritating uh, Fianna Fáil's successive uh, leadership. Yeah, he still is divided among our listenership. You know, you will always course, yeah. get comments when he's on about yeah. uh, the Man Tribunal and uh, all of, of that. And, uh, you know, famously a finance minister with no bank account. You know, it's, it's something that's hard to, to, to live down. Uh, but Martin, uh, you give him great credit for the Good Friday Agreement. But that mixed legacy, I mean, in terms of Sinn Féin's legacy yeah. through the Troubles, not all of that would be checkered. Oh, of course, you know, and, and every every political person out there, you know, has you know successes and failures, and and we all have to have to live with that. However, uh, I think from the perspective and certainly the, the public image that I talked to, and talking to younger people, particularly people, you know, who were in mortgage distress and have had huge difficulties and went through negative equity and all that through all that time, you know, a lot of the. Um, Rightly or wrongly, a lot of the blame for that was placed on Bertie Ahern and the economic model that he developed in the early 2000s. And I think, you know, he's going to have a job to live that down. And Fianna Fáil is particularly going to have a job to live it down. Now, it, was there any kind of irony in this whole thing that, you know, given the, the cloud uh, that still is over Bertie in some respects, that this came in the week when ethics legislation was writ large, Jim, uh, in the, the political agenda? I don't think there was irony there. Like people are aware that there were failings on the part of Bertie O'Hearn. He's not the only politician to have exposed failings uh, in the Irish political system. But uh, in terms of the review of the ethics legislation that was announced this week, I think that was uh, worthwhile. Uh, I think it's important that we try to codify the ethics legislation into one piece of legislation. I also think that when there's a breach of ethics by a politician, like there's sort of an immediate jump to, oh, do they stay or do they resign? And I think there has to be a mechanism, and I welcome the fact that it's proposed under this review, that there will be maybe a fine set out or standard um, fines that will apply in respect of certain offences, such as if a politician fails to make appropriate disclosure in their annual disclosure statements. Because at present, when an issue like that arises, there's great uncertainty as to what should happen. And maybe we should have a system like they have, I think, in the financial services, where if you if you breach a, a regulatory code, that a fine is imposed. Yeah. So everyone that, knows that the politicians brings us to, to another. I'll come back to you on, on that one in a moment about the ESB objecting that their senior management or board members should be subject to uh, declarations as to what the, where their investments might be or whether they have conflict of interest. And the ESB saying, God, we'll get nobody to work for us if you bring that about. You have to tell what your husband or wife's investments are if you happen to be involved in the board of the ESB or the higher management. I find that astonishing. Um, I think the notion that 
people's nearest and dearest uh, might in some way pollute their thinking in actual business. Of course, there's a logic to it. It's a possibility. But there is also an issue of privacy and professional privacy. However, I do think that having... Now, there's a, talking about a confidential register, what ever ends up remaining confidential? Nothing. And somebody will do a protected disclosure and suddenly all of the protected stuff is out there. But I do think that the... We have come an awful long way. If you look at the Mahan Tribunal and the sheer amounts of money and the level of self-evident corruption, as opposed to the recent fracas with Pascal Donoghue, over a few hundred euro, do you know, as Jim was talking about people immediately going to the, the final thing of, well, should he go or should he stay? But we have come a long way to that point and it's not necessarily a bad way. Martin. Yeah, I think, you know, SIPO, since it was set up, I guess 2008 was the first report. And since then, in every report, they've been looking for more powers and they've been looking to be able to initiate their own investigations. They've been continuously on to the, the, the Oireachtas for to try and, and move the situation forward. And it hasn't happened. And, you know, and I, I take I take Cherry's point that, you know, the, 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 the level of corruption that we see nowadays being exposed by things is much smaller than what it was back at, the, at that time, certainly in the, in the, in the 2000s. But, but even when but you the, use corruption, in, in the, the context of Pascal that's I yeah, mean well, it's about, it's, know, about the, it's about the well that's connected, a, a, it's about the well connected of omission and it's about also the well connected you guys have you guys haven't had a right go at them had to eat humble pie well look I mean the, the, the issue here for, for Pascal was that somebody that he was very close to that had a lot of business connections was appointed to boards and all of that was paying for some of his election fees and that hadn't been yeah, declared we, we know that, that's, yeah. that, that that's the reason and you guys didn't pay your bills uh, well, we didn't pay the bills but <laughs> immediate, immediately immediately <laughs> the bill was paid and immediately it was recorded when you were found out and registered just say Pat in politics the moral high ground is a dangerous place to (laughs) occupy and neither myself nor Fianna Fáil want to occupy that I wanted to move on because of your uh, legal background the idea that uh, you know spouses or partners in life uh, should be brought into this whole maw when it comes to judges for example who were barristers who handled hundreds of cases who are often married to barristers who handle hundreds of cases and sometimes both parties become judges Mm. you'd have no to hear any case. I know, but they make an oath when they become judges to, and they, they swear that they will hear cases impartially and objectively. But listen, I think we need to recognise as well that in Ireland, like we have an international index, Transparency International Corruption Index, says Ireland is one of the top 10 least corrupt countries in the world. So that's that's not something just a politician said. That's an international assessment of it. I think we should go along, as I say, and codify it. I think one thing we have to be careful of, though, and I'm sure Martin may have experienced this in Sinn Féin, parties are finding it increasingly more difficult to get candidates to run. And if we're going to put in this system whereby it's a real interference in people's lives, if they do become candidates, it's going to become more difficult. And I know from talking to people in the Dáil and the Shannon that many of them, because of the current obligations arrest on them find it really difficult even to open a Revolut account or to deal with uh, banking details their children to get get loans because they're politically exposed persons that can make it much more difficult for them so that's not something the public isn't aware of they mightn't be too sympathetic about it but I think we need to ensure that we don't have a system in that excludes people now, I want to move on. The, the, I suppose story dominating the week was the the, the tragic earthquakes, uh, the two of them, and uh, the aftershocks and so on. And there's almost nothing we can say because this was uh, a natural catastrophe 
And I don't think any government could be prepared for the scale of what happened. No, I mean, the the president of Turkey was very defensive about the criticisms that they didn't move fast enough. But anybody who has ever been in terrain where there has been a hurricane or an earthquake knows the roads are gone. The roads are filled with rubble, filled with wreck buildings and getting in is extraordinarily difficult. And I have watched it in the aftermath of the hurricane in Florida. The only things that get in easily are helicopters. Helicopters are damn all use at getting in massive machinery, the sort that you need Mm. to lift wreckage off people. Yeah, and I think all of us would uh, have great sympathy, whatever about any deficits in their preparations. uh, The Turkish government have a hell of a job, Jim. Yeah, it's it's an extraordinary job. For the next couple of decades. Yeah, and it just shows you how, you know, vulnerable we all remain as humans to natural events, natural occurrences over which we have absolutely no control. And um, I don't know, it's it's, it's a horrific tragedy. Ireland has tried its best, like we're in terms of we're providing money. The Tonsch announced two million in emergency funding with 12 and a half million in the Central Emergency Response Fund of the UN. That's all we can do and provide resources for the people to try. Yeah, and, and of course, yeah. uh, Goal yeah. lost some, yeah. of its, uh, some of its staff. Yeah, staff. yeah. yeah. yeah look, I mean, the, the, the reality is we have over 20,000 people, they say, dead, and that is likely to grow. And you think of how many orphans are out there now, how many families have been totally destroyed, their lives turned inside out, upside down. Syria was already a place, of course, where there was conflict and there was huge strife and huge problems. And now you have this mm-hmm. coming on top of it. You know, the international community is, in, in, in fairness, stepping up and providing aid and assistance as much as they can. But I think there needs to be a long-term plan for a lot of these but regions which are so much at risk. What is so distressing about the, our world today is that you look at what nature has done in a matter of seconds yeah. in Turkey and Syria and what Putin is doing slowly but surely yeah. with weapons and armaments mm. destroying cities, you know, creating the kind of wreckage you see in an mm. earthquake. Absolutely. And he's doing it with man-made armaments. Yes, yes. And I mean, you know, the, 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 the issue that we have in Ukraine and, and, and the terrible conflict that's there and we, you know, we've seen uh, President Zelensky going around Europe looking for more aid, looking for more military assistance. You know, all of that is, is going to lead to more conflict, more people being killed, more death, more destruction. And we need to get to a situation as quickly as possible if we can put enough pressure on Putin, but he's a very difficult guy to put pressure on, for to end this war, to withdraw his forces, to give Ukraine back its, its territory, because that's what needs sure. to happen. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a horrific uh, tragedy. It's shocking, actually, when you do look at Aleppo and the scenes of the destruction caused by the earthquake are very similar to the scenes of destruction yeah. that you said were caused by uh, Putin. But um, listen, all we can do is try and offer our support to the Turkish people. And I think we will be required to give more money and I suspect we'll be happy to do so. Isn't it fascinating, though, the way media feeds our human need for an individual connection. I've been fascinated by the stories and pictures that have made it right across media, like the poor man with his hand holding mm, his, his dead, dead daughter's, daughter's hand. hand. And now, by the way, we can go back to Enniskillen and exactly the same thing. Exactly. We, we relate to horror. The only way we can fully comprehend and apprehend it is through the suffering of individuals. And that's where media and social media are hugely powerful. 
It brings us, of course, to, you know, the fallout from the Putin's misadventure in Ukraine, and that is the number of refugees who are arriving here, uh, compounded by the number of those seeking international protection. Jim, the EU has talked about tightening up the rules, and mm. uh, the Taoiseach was talking about people arriving here with tall stories and having to be firm but fair. Yeah, I think he's correct. Like we have a system in place, an international protection system, and it assesses whether or not people are fleeing persecution. They're entitled to apply to and it's assessed independently and there's an appeal process. But if we have a system whereby somebody who fails that process, there's, they, they remain or there's no ability to deport them. We completely undermine the system and it's very unfair to the people who are legitimately seeking international protection. Can I just say as well though, Pat, like in, it's the past 25 years we've started dealing with widespread immigration into Ireland. As a country, we've handled it, I think, particularly well. So we need to be very careful that sort of recent events and recent marches don't upset that. And I also think we need to recognise 2022 is an exceptional year. 83,600 People came in, either 70,000 Ukrainians or 13,600 people seeking international protection. It was a highly unusual year. And, you know, obviously... It's but it might be replicated. Barry White, our chief reporter, talking about 4,500 people thus far in the month of January. I know. If that goes right through 2023, we'll be talking about the same again as last year. I think year. we need to be honest about the capacity. And I think there's a recognition that Ireland has been enormously generous, but like... There's huge pressures, let's be honest about it, on our capacity to provide the accommodation that we're obliged to. Martin. Yeah, look, I, I think we, we recognise that and we recognise that it has been a year of huge pressure coming from both Ukraine and from uh, people from other countries seeking international protection. Of course, we have legal obligations under the United Nations for to provide uh, protection for people under those circumstances. There is a process when people come here. They are legal. They are not illegal. And, and you know, there's all sorts of, of stories going around about all of that by groups that are trying to, to use people's natural difficulty with, with the resource problems. I, I know though, though, those things are being conflated. People who have genuine concerns about yeah. uh, the deficits in their neighbourhoods yes. for themselves before any extra people arrive in are being accused of being right wing. Yeah. When uh, and we have, to, we have to be careful that may around not be all the of case. that. Because it, it, is, it isn't always the case that you know people that are protesting are right wing or they're, they're simply frustrated that they can't get a Terry? house, that they can't get I facilities. I would love to see more creativity at the political level in dealing with this because if you look, for example, at the numbers of Ukrainians who have arrived here who are highly qualified in their own homes, there is no immediate agency that can say, OK, you're an engineer, you're a doctor, you're an architect. In six months intensive work, we will get you up to the stage where we can release you to practice in Ireland. Why the hell not? Why do we not have this? Jim? Well, that's a very valid point. I'm glad Terry raised it because in December of this year, I introduced with the support of Fianna Fáil a piece of legislation called the Ukraine Solidarity Bill, which in part was trying to introduce the crime of aggression into Irish law. But the last part of it tried to set up a mechanism where people with Ukrainian qualifications, such as doctors, uh, yeah. architects, yeah. medics could have their uh, qualifications recognised here immediately. Yeah. And it needs and to be happened? done. It, it's, it's gone to second stage in Dáil Air and hasn't been enacted yet, but Is I the, know the, that... That lack of urgency, though, yeah. uh, yes, in terms exactly. you know, of people need, sitting on their hands yeah. wanting to work. I know, yeah. we need to expedite that because, you know, these are people who want to work, they're available to work and they'll be very productive for our society and they'll yeah. become taxpayers, so we do need to expedite We definitely it. do. And sorry, Martin, You're can fine. I just add one thing? 
this rise of the right and the agitation on social media, I think that the government also needs to do some kind of a campaign that celebrates the areas, the peoples, the communities that have really successfully welcomed in uh, people, not just from Ukraine, but from elsewhere. And the sort of things they have done, to there needs to be a campaign to create not just understanding but pride look how good we are at this because we are very good at it yeah i mean when we look at um, immigrant families who have come good as they say yeah. uh, and when i th- think of uh, uh, rashidi adeleke who's mm. now what the third fastest person in the world at the moment sport, yeah. fantastic. you know absolutely fantastic and uh, you know there probably were people who were decrying the arrival of her family exactly yeah. you know, so we, we have Zach the Leitrim hurler that <laughs> everybody everybody has come to know <laughs> but you know we do have we do have a, a difficulties around all of that and we have an awful lot of people here from all countries that are really well qualified we have an awful lot of people that can't get employees and we do need to find a system that people that come here can quickly become part of the normal part of society and can quickly both contribute to the economy and to their own upkeep and that's what they want to do but our system at the moment is blocking them from doing that. And and what about the the tightening up of the rules Jim? The EU is tightening up. We have long needed to tighten up because it's unconscionable that someone be eight years here being processed. Absolutely. Yeah, we need to speed up the rules and we need to be stricter with the rules as well because as I say it undermines the system we're damaging the interests of those legitimate people who are fleeing persecution if it is the case that people who are, aren't legitimately fleeing persecution aren't dealt with. Either uh, give them a visa or but Yeah, and listen, we can have a, We can have a debate about economic migration. Yeah. We don't want yeah. to find ourselves like the UK where they can't get workers. Like if, if we have an issue in terms of economic migrants coming in, let's have a chat about that, but let's not do it through the process of international protection, which is a separate process. Yeah. I think that the, the remark made yesterday by the Taoiseach, like we should not let the people traffickers determine who gets in or out of anyone's country. Yes. That's not theirs to decide. Especially when the the same people traffickers are now running some of the massive camps that refugees are ending up in. It's a horrific interlinked problem. All right. Terry Prone, uh, Chairman of the Communications Clinic, Jim O'Callan, Fianna Fáil TD for Dublin Bay South and Martin Kenny Sinn Féin TD for Sligo Leitrim. Thank you one and all. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.